0: Hi there, and welcome to Vineyard Church, Delaware County's podcast. My name is Michael Hanson. I'm the lead pastor here at the church, and I am so glad that you have joined us for this week's message. I'm going to have a little bit more to say at the end, but for now, enjoy the teaching. Thanks, Andrew. Thanks for cheering. That's so much better than the, my daydream of the, the Price is Right Sound effect, that boom, 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 when somebody loses, you know, that sound effect, so thanks. I reviewed my, uh, my Starbucks endorsement, it does say that I can drink other brands, but uh, still Starbucks today, so look out for Tim Hortons coming soon. Uh, so yeah, thanks for that uh, thanks for the introduction, Andrew, and before I get started, just the, the church planning thing, that's been on our hearts for three and a half years or so now, um, we just feel like God's doing something in Lewis Center, and he's inviting us to be a part of that. And, you know, when that first kind of went on our hearts a few years ago, when I stood in my backyard and I looked out over 1,200 acres of farm, not, not, none of it was ours, but, uh, but just empty fields. Uh, it seemed a little weird to think about a Lewis Center vineyard. Now there are 2,200 houses planned for just those fields, uh, and they've started to break ground, and there's more and more coming. So now it doesn't seem so weird at all. Uh, And it's almost like God knows what he's doing before we do, or maybe he knows what he's doing even when we don't. Uh, And so we'll still be here at at VCDC. We're just going to go off staff. So Liv and I lead the worship here. So June 30, we won't be staff anymore. We'll still continue to to teach and lead worship and all those things that we do here. Um, But we do look forward to having interest meetings and planning and dreaming together. Uh, We love the idea of being super connected to VCDC, both now and forever. We love this church. This is our church uh, we love you guys. We love this church. We love the worship. We love the people. We love the teaching. And I'm honored to, uh, to be teaching this morning. And the last few times that I've preached here at VCDC, I've been able to wrap a sermon series. That's my, my favorite thing to do. It means I can just glean off of all the awesome teachings that we've gotten so far. So I'll say in week one, Michael said this, and then Andrew said that, and Heather said this. And I just have to remind us to apply everything, and then, then that's it. Drop the mic let's worship. So I really like to do that. But this time, we are smack dab in the middle of the series. And as Andrew pointed out last week, we're, we're actually turning a page in the middle of the book of Ephesians here. We're, we're starting to kind of turn the page and get into some nitty-gritty stuff, some super practical stuff regarding how we live our lives. So to put it a little more comprehensively, in the beginning of, of the letter to the Ephesians, Paul has set up just how amazing God's goodness is and how amazing his grace is and His invitation to us and, um, you know, how we're redeemed through Christ and how Jesus is the head of this amazing family that he wants everybody to be a part of. How because of God's plan for creation that we can be reconciled and redeemed through Jesus just by accepting what he's done for us. And that how as we grow closer to him, we look more like him. As we get to know him more, we love him more. And Paul lays out how there's a mystery to that grace. And it's open to everyone, whether you can find your your ancestors in the Old Testament or whether you're on the other side of the world, which would be us, we're on the other side of the world. And today, that that, that concept of being right with God is open to everyone, whether you've been in a church all your life and you've heard the verses we're going to cover a thousand times, or you've never stepped foot in a church, and these words are all brand new to you today. So let me just pray as I get started, and then we'll look at God's word together. So Lord, I just thank you that you have a word for your people. I'm super humbled that I'm the one to give it. I just pray that I would not say anything more or anything less than what you want your people to hear. Holy Spirit, I know that it's you that causes us stirring in our hearts, that causes us stirring in us when we we hear your word, when we gather together to worship. And so I just invite you to stir our hearts this morning. Holy Spirit, would you come and do the things that only you can do? We invite you here. Holy Spirit, we invite you to do whatever you want. Lord, would you just put power on this message? Would you speak through me? And if necessary, just work in spite of me. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So let's start by reading today's passage. I like to read the whole thing in its entirety, and that way we can be sure that we have some context around what we're looking at before we start really digging And again, today's passage requires even more context because the whole book of Ephesians has kind of been leading up to this, and we're getting into that day-to-day practical stuff. Now, I can explain a little bit more of that in a second. We're going to read Ephesians 4, 17 through 32. And just just to be clear, we at Vineyard believe that all Scripture is God-breathed. So when I'm going to say things like Paul's saying this and Paul's saying that, what I'm really saying is that the Holy Spirit, that God is saying this through Paul, through the Scriptures. All right, so you can look it up in your Bible or your phone. You can follow along on the screens, but take a deep breath. It's going to be, we're going to go through a lot of scripture. Here we go. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality as to indulge in every kind of impurity and they're full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in Him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught, with regard to your former way of life, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger do not sin, Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who's been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption get rid of all bitterness rage and anger brawling and slander along with every form of malice be kind and compassionate to one another forgiving each other just as in christ forgi- i'm sorry just as in christ god forgave you so you started to hear some do's and don'ts do this don't do that we're getting into the day-to-day stuff but before we get into those do's and don'ts i'm going to make our first point it's just a two-point sermon today easy peasy this is the first point it's not us versus them it's the new us versus the old us It's not us versus them. It's the new us versus the old us. Now, I know that right now, all I hear is us versus them talk. So much of our discourse is framed in an us versus them scenario. Regardless of who the us is and who the them is, regardless of what we're talking about, it's us versus them. Or it's our side versus their side. It's an argument. As Christians, though, we have to be careful to navigate around discourse like this. As Christians, this is not how we're to dialogue with people, either inside or outside of the church. And we're also not to take an us versus them approach or perspective when we as the church look at the world. I've always loved that quote by D.T. Niles that says, evangelism is just one beggar telling another where to find bread. One beggar telling another where to find bread. I love this quote because it really just reminds me, there is no us versus them. But it sure sounded like there was some us versus them in that first chunk of scripture. Is that what's happening? I mean, let's look at it together. We're going to look again at 17 through 19. And I've underlined all the us versus them. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking, their darkened and their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality as to indulge in every kind of impurity and they are full of greed. I read that fast, but you heard me accent a whole lot of underlined us's and them's. So at first listen or first read, it really sounds like us versus them. Now the group in the them category is the Gentiles. So in your scriptures, there's just two groups of people. There's Jews and everybody else, and everybody else is Gentile. And that's kind of what the word means, everybody else. And so Paul starts with, I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord. Some translations even say, with the Lord's authority, I say this you must not live like the Gentiles in the futility of their thinking that they are darkened. It really sounds like we must not be like them. It sounds like us versus them. And I've heard a lot of well-intentioned Christians and a lot of well-intentioned Christian teaching making some pretty harsh us versus them statements using these scriptures or scriptures like them. But again, even with all of that text looking like us versus them, even with that scenario seeming to be set up there, even with all those words that I underlined, I still argue it's not us versus them. It's the new us versus the old us. So how is that possible? Well, first, we need to remember that the church in Ephesus was a largely Gentile church. The letter to Ephesus was largely a letter to Gentiles. So what Paul is really saying here is, you Gentiles must no longer live as the Gentiles do. It's not us versus them. See, the us versus them argument breaks down quickly. Now, if Paul's letter was to the church in Jerusalem, it'd make perfect sense. Jerusalem was a Jewish church, and Paul was a Jews Jew. Paul had authority in Jewish culture and Jewish governance. So if Paul was writing his letter to the church in Jerusalem, the Jewish church, he would say something like, you Jews or we Jews need to no longer live as the Gentiles do. Does that make sense? But, but it wasn't to Jerusalem. It was to Ephesus. Ephesus was a mostly Gentile church and a mostly Gentile city. Paul is saying, you Gentiles must no longer live as the Gentiles do. Paul's letters to to Ephesus, it's in modern-day Turkey, as Heather pointed out a couple weeks ago. It had a presence of Christianity since the first century, but it was not a Christian city. It had a presence of Judaism since before the first century, but it was not a Jewish city. It looked pretty much like New York City. It had lots of cultures, lots of religions, lots of idols, lots of belief sets, you name it. It was a melting pot. And as you read in Acts, much of the religion in Ephesus proper uh, proper actually centered around the worship of the Greek goddess Artemis, related to or the same as the Roman goddess Diana. And the temple to Artemis is one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. And now Paul lived in Ephesus for a couple of years. He shepherded the church there in the 50s. It sounds like I'm saying the 1950s, but I'm just saying the 50s. And, and he wrote his letter to Ephesus when he was in Rome in the 60s, in the early 60s. But even in the 50s, that city had between 250,000 and 300,000 people living in it. Ephesus was, was a big city. It had an amphitheater that sat more than 25,000, nationwide seats 20,000. It was the second largest city in the Roman Empire outside of Rome. Ephesus was a total melting pot. It was a major trade route. So it had All kinds of backgrounds, all kinds of cultures, all kinds of different religions and experiences. See, Paul can't be drawing us versus them lines in the scriptures because in the text, the us and the them are both Gentiles. He's drawing lines between the old us and the new us. And that's reinforced even further, starting in chapter 20, uh, so verse 22, 22 through 24. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. To be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So, what I think God is telling us in these scriptures is that we have to stop acting like the old us and be the new us that we are in Jesus. See, as followers of Jesus, there is no us in the church versus them in the world. See, as a Christian, I see me as a Christian, saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone that new me which Jesus is continuing to form and shape and mold and make into a better me, when I let him, that is. And then as Christians, as the church, we have the new us, and we pray that all people would come to know the saving grace, the abundant life, the love of Jesus. So there's the new us, and if if we're following the Great Commission, if we're letting Jesus direct our steps, then that new us just grows. It grows as we see the life-changing power of the Holy Spirit Bring old us people into the new us kingdom of God. See, Jesus came for Jew and Gentile. He came for all of us. There is no them. There's only new us's and old us's. It's not us versus them. It's the new us versus the old us. Now, based on our passage today, we end up with a couple of different illustrations on the new us and the old us. We're going to read 17 through 19 even one more time. I'm going to read it even faster. And this time... We're gonna look at it in this concept of what makes up the old us. Okay, I'm gonna count real fast, here we go. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord, you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking, they're darkened in their understanding, they're separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that's in them due to the hardening of their hearts. I'm at five. Having lost all sensitivity, they've given themselves over to sensuality as to indulge in every kind of impurity, they're full of greed. That's a lot of stuff. That's a lot of stuff to unpack that's a lot of stuff that makes up the old us. And when I started to try and unpack all that stuff, I just kind of glossed over. And I was reminded of a presentation that my 15-year-old Luke did of a physics experiment he just recently did. Luke, raise your hand. There's Luke. woo Hey, Luke. So Luke did a physics project, and he did a presentation on the physics project. And in the project, he ignited—got uh, some, some combustible vapor in a film canister— And then using a grill lighter, he lit it so the film canister shot off like a rocket. That was fun. Blowing stuff up is always fun. And in Luke's presentation, that was the thing that brought the oohs and the ahs. He played a video, and you could see it in slow-mo. That's a still from the video. And you can see the kind of the explosion out of the bottom of the canister, and you can see it's blurry because it's taken off in a hurry. That was the super fun part. What wasn't so fun for Luke was the breakdown and the reporting of all the chemical reactions that took place and the causes and the effects that had to be interpreted and documented, the report that had to result. Luke's a pretty ethical dude, but I imagine he would have paid money to have someone diagram those out for him. One of Luke's diagrams looked like this. All right, I'm not touching that. I understand the word heat. That I get. Andrew, Andrew probably understands all this stuff. But... Yeah, I, I took high school physics when I could develop the conviction to attend high school classes, which was not often, uh, or undergrad for that matter, thanks to Nintendo. Big fan of Nintendo. You can see a lot of letter grade drops. I can show you. Oh, Mario can't come in at this time. Letter grade drop. Uh, so, yeah, I, I get intimidated. I get intimidated when I think about trying to map out this kind of stuff, chart it out. So in the spirit of making things easy, I've taken those first two verses and I've charted them out for us. Here's what the scriptures are saying. Let's start with, uh, this is the futility of our thinking, the old us. It starts with hardened hearts, which leads to ignorance, which then leads to being darkened in our understanding and being separated from the life of God, which then leads to losing all sensitivity, which then leads to being given over to sensuality and indulging in impurity and all sorts of sin and being full of greed. Now, I took this straight out of our Bibles. I didn't apply any artistic license to it. I just put things in order based on the cause and effect statements that were in those verses. I did notice one thing, though. As I charted that out, not only did I see that that was the old me, but it also rang true in specific areas in my life even now. You might see this progression resemble past or even present areas of your life. See, this is the formula for how to start an addiction. It's the formula for how to ruin relationships. It's the formula for how to feel empty. It's even the formula for how to walk away from Jesus. This is the formula that the enemy offers. It's a pattern that even we as Christians can find ourselves falling into in any area that we're not regularly submitting to God, regularly letting him shape us and form us. But... This is not the pattern we're to follow, Paul says. He says we're to put off the old self, that we're to be the new us. In verses 23 and 24, it says we're to be made new in the attitude of our minds and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. And our passage does go on to show us some old us versus new us scenarios. It's not meant to be an exhaustive list. It's got some big items on there, though. Let's, go, let's read through them real quick. So the old us would operate in falsehood. The new us speaks truthfully to our neighbor. The old us sins in anger. The new us doesn't let the sun go down while we're still angry. The old us would steal. The new us would work at something useful to share with those in need. The old us would speak unwholesome talk. The new us builds others up for their benefit. The old us operates in bitterness and rage and anger and brawling and slander and malice. The new us is kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, So it's not an issue of us versus them. It's an issue of the new us versus the old us. And that brings me to my second and final point, which is this. It's the Holy Spirit that will change us. Now, I know that might not seem like too profound a point. But as I was preparing for this message, I was reminded of something. Paul's letter to the Ephesians was not a corrective letter like those to the other churches. See, Paul's letter to Corinthians was like, you guys are a mess. you got to fix this and this and this and this. It was corrective. But the letter to Ephesus was the attaboy letter to the attaboy church. This one just says, hey, good job, Ephesus. So what's happening? He's he's not even preaching. He's not even talking to the world. He's talking to his church, his people. And they were really his church because he actually lived in Ephesus for two to three years and shepherded this church. This was really his church. So Paul is the pastor of your church. Imagine those conversations. Imagine those sermons. Imagine having a conversation. Oh, what church do you go to? Oh, yeah, Paul is our pastor, and we go really deep, right? Two hundred people got healed today, right? So, so Paul is kind of a, a hero of our church, right? He's a hero of the early church. So, what what deep theological things is he telling us in the in the book of Ephesus? What deep theological stuff? Here they are. Don't lash out at your neighbor. Don't lie. Don't gossip and slander and talk down to your neighbor. Don't be full of rage. Don't steal. Don't steal? I mean, that's pretty fundamental. That's, that's a fundamental do and don't. So if these are messages, if these do's and don'ts are things that the church in Ephesus needed to hear then, and they're things that this church today needs to hear now, and, and they are, they are things we need to hear now, then what does that tell us? Here's what I think it says. It means that God's grace is so very vast that, when we, that we really are saved alone in his grace, that we're saved through faith alone, in Christ alone. That it's really that vast. And that that salvation is just the first step. It's the first step in a lifelong process. So what I mean is this. You, you couldn't earn your salvation if you wanted to. We, we couldn't earn it. We didn't earn it. It's a gift. And in the upside-down kingdom of God, where things don't always happen like you think they would, when you decide to turn your life over to Jesus, you are right then first made right in him. At that moment, you are redeemed immediately and totally. That when God looks at you, he then looks upon Jesus and the sacrifice that Jesus made for you in his sinless life and death on the cross, and you are immediately pardoned. The scriptures say you're viewed as without blemish, meaning like you never did anything wrong. And that means that that is the case even if you're a thief or even if you're filled with rage or anything else that makes up the old you. So while you're here on earth, if you've decided to follow Jesus, even though you've received that eternal redemption, down here you've only taken the first step. From that point on, you're going to live a lifetime of learning and growing and becoming more like Jesus. Now sometimes that'll be in joy and sometimes it'll be in great trial and pain. Sometimes that will come from walking very closely and sweetly with him. And sometimes it'll be from Running away from him and wrecking, and coming back home in repentance. And that's the lens we can look at these practical instructions in Ephesians 4, and then as we go into Ephesians 5. We take off the old self and we put on the new self. But how do we do that? As with the case, as is the case with any set of instructions, it's always easier said than done. I mean, are we on our own? Do we just modify our behavior and call it a day? Is putting on the new self just modifying our behavior? Is it just behavior modification? If it is, it's not a faith I want to be a part of. Here's a quote. The Christian life as expressed as a form of behavior modification is exhausting and futile and not what God has for us. Now church, I tried to find a quote from C.S. Lewis or Tim Keller or any of the guys that we like but I couldn't find it. So this is me. But but I think it still works, right? Isn't it exhausting? It's exhausting. And it's not what God has for us. Here's the deal. The scriptures show us that we're to be made new in the attitude of our minds. That we're to put on the new self created to be like God and true righteousness and holiness. See, God wants to renew our thinking. He wants to renew our minds. He wants to change us from the inside out and change our motivations entirely. And toward the end of the chapter, we're told in verse 30, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Now, this is a two-point sermon, but I'm going to give you a little point five here. We'll say it's a 2.5-point sermon. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but I wonder how many of us who have heard that particular verse, don't grieve the Holy Spirit, have had a hard time digesting it. I know I have. Like, What does that really mean? What is that really saying? See, for some reason, I've always interpreted that verse in the context of our passage today as something like this. I'm going to paraphrase our whole passage. And I believe there's one wrong word in this paraphrase. It's the last one. Here we go. Here's the paraphrase. Listen to the Holy Spirit and let him change you and give you a new you, a new self. He will lovingly direct you to do some things and to stop doing others. Sometimes he'll do it through the scriptures and sometimes he'll communicate directly with you. Do the things he says. Of course, you don't want to make him mad. That's how I read our whole passage my whole life. That's not what it's saying. Let's let's read the paraphrase again. Let me correct the last word. Listen to the Holy Spirit and let him change you and give you a new you, a new self. He will lovingly direct you to do some things and stop doing others, sometimes through the scriptures and sometimes by communicating directly with you. Do the things he says. Of course, you don't want to make him sad. Now, that word grieve in regards to grieving the Holy Spirit in verse 30, it's not one of those cool Greek words where there's a hundred meanings around it. It means one thing only, and it just means to make sad. That's all it means. It doesn't mean like despairing and irritated and frustrated to the point of being worn out. It just means to make sad. That's it. And that one word makes all the difference because we don't want to make the Holy Spirit sad. It's the difference between resentfully and exhaustingly living out a life of behavior modification versus just living out a life that really wants to please God because we love him. We don't want to make him sad because he continues to mold us to be more like him because he's changing us from the inside out. Let me just drive this point home. The worship team can start making their way back up on this stage. But I'm a big fan of my lovely wife, Olivia. We'll have been married, oh yeah, yeah, let's cheer for woo! (laughs) I'm going to get in trouble for this later. But we'll have been married 22 years now this December. And when we got married, we took a very specific vow to forsake all others. Now, if you're in this room and you've been married, you took a similar vow. If you're married now, you took a similar vow. If you're about to get married soon or you want to get married someday, you're going to take a similar vow, a vow to forsake all others. Now, if another woman came up to me today and offered to be my wife instead of Olivia, I would say, nope. And there are hundreds of reasons for that. We love each other. We're best friends. We, we know each other like nobody else. We have history. We have children together. We have the closest bond that God has engineered between two people. According to the scriptures, we're, we're pretty much one person. And I could go on and on for my, for my reasons, for my nope. But I can tell you this. Not one of my reasons would be this. Boy, would she be mad. I sure wouldn't want to make her mad. See, even if I were to say that, I'd be looking out for myself. I'd be be looking out for any fallout that that could happen as a result. I'd be living a life of behavior modification, just trying to stay in her good graces. Now, if I would never say that about my wife, that that's my primary reason for forsaking all others is because I don't want to make her mad, and my wife loves me imperfectly, quite frankly, and forgives me, quite frankly, imperfectly, then why would I live my life in patterns of guilt-motivated behavior modification towards God, who actually does love me perfectly, who actually does forgive me perfectly, like in a way like I never did anything wrong before. All I have to do is ask for that forgiveness. Why would I do that without putting on the new self, being made new in the attitude of my mind? Now, I'm sure I wouldn't say I don't want to make her mad. That wouldn't be my motivation for forsaking all others. But I could see myself saying, oh, I wouldn't want to make her so sad. That would make her so sad. I love her. I would never want to make her so sad as to do such a thing as that. And that's what the scriptures are saying here when they tell us not to make the Holy Spirit sad. We love him, and that's why we don't want to make him sad. Make him sad by not listening to him. Make him sad by not letting him transform our minds, transform our hearts, and in turn transform our actions. We're going to move into a time of worship now, and just a couple things have come to mind. First, before I forget, we have communion elements in the back. Feel free to, uh, if you haven't grabbed them already, you can grab those. You can take communion either by yourself or with friends and family anytime during the next three songs. We're going to worship together here. Next, this is Pentecost weekend, and so, so what we're commemorating here is the concept of, you know, when Jesus was resurrected, he hung out with his disciples in the early church for a while, and then he, he went back into heaven, and he said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave, you know, soon, I'm going to send you someone, I'm going to send you a helper, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. And so Pentecost is kind of commemorating when that happened, when the Holy Spirit first fell on the early church. And I just want to encourage us that that same Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit here today. And so as we worship, let's just open our ears up. Let's just let's try and be in tune with what he might be telling us. If you feel that the Lord gives you a word or a picture or something you feel might be for the church, just come on up and share that with Andrew while we're worshiping, and he'll kind of help vet that with you and see if that's something to share to the church. And then after we worship with these three songs, uh, then I'll come up and lead us into ministry time.